media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Well, I'm asked Grant and Jennifer to come and uh, be with me this morning. And uh, let's see, we'll just turn that on. And you can turn that one on. And uh, they've been so generous to, to come and share kind of their stories. It's, in one way, it's kind of two different things, two different focuses. And yet I see a commonality of it because it is the, the commonality of the call of Christ. And um, for those that don't know, we are part of the Southern Baptist denomination. I know that there's a lot of people in our church that go, I didn't know that. And uh, because we just want to make much of Christ. We don't belittle the fact that we are part of a denomination. But we make much of that. We are part of the cooperative program. When you give tithes and offerings, part of that goes to world missions. And yet one of the really cool things that I've seen as a pastor for the last 37 years in ministry is that more and more and more, we still see denominations and we see people that are Methodists and Presbyterians and Baptists and this, that, and the other. And that's great and good, okay? But one thing that I've seen, especially in the area of missions, is this global approach of just the body of Christ. That goes across denominational lines, and there's just this unity of working. And that excites me beyond belief. Now, again, I, I, I'm, I'm thankful to be a Southern Baptist. They educated me, and you know, I've, I've been the beneficiary of being in that denomination. But I am excited when the body of Christ, when we kind of forget labels, and we just, we're Christians. We just come together in the heart of Christ. And so this morning, uh, we have two that have come, and they're not, they really kind of, uh, almost like I serve. So you talk to Sherry, you talk to Jeff. Hey, we don't want this to be about a denomination. We want this to be about the body of Christ. And we see the beauty of that. And really from what, everything that I can tell, and I'm going to let you kind of explain a little bit more, that that's really the calling that you have. That maybe you grew up in this kind of background or that background, but that God has just put upon your heart this kingdom approach. And that's really exciting that we get to live in such a day. Because if you go back 50 years, hundred years, there really wasn't that. Things were really segmented. And there was like, I, I mean, I had this, at Shadowbrook, I had this guy that said, yeah, I married a Methodist. And it was like he had to apologize or something. I'm going, it's okay. I think that there's not sections in heaven. I think we're all going to be there if we put our faith and trust in Christ. And so, guys, thank you for coming this morning. Um, I, I'm going to give uh, Jennifer the first opportunity in two minutes. You know, we just got this short amount of time, and you had to kind of explain the mission uh, of what your ministry does. Can you give us that in kind of two minutes? And we'll go back to it, but just kind of give us this short version so that we kind of grasp what you do and what God's called you to do. Absolutely. So, I mean, yeah, I'm good. So uh, the ministry that God really called me to uh, is called, it's on, the button is green. It is on. I promise. <laughs> Yeah, talk loud. Talk loud for right now, and then we'll get that fixed. Closer? I don't know. Okay, so the ministry that God called me to uh, is called Change Your Chains. And everything that happened, uh, he set in place with a purpose, and the name has a purpose. So with, with our ministry, the burden that God really started stirring in my heart is where our young people are today and what they have going on in their lives is nothing like it was when we were growing up. Um, I'm a mom of four boys, and I was seeing in my kids, I was seeing it in in a lot of different kids around me, and 
my heart was burdened for what kids are dealing with today and the fact that they are not equipped. And so I felt like every day I was putting my own kids into a lion's den ill-equipped. And so basically we ha- had some events happen, and I said, enough's enough, I'm standing up. So what Change Your Chains does uh, is we go in and speaking, training, building up. Uh, we build up uh, parents, and we build up caregivers, and we say, hey, this is what's going on in your child's life. You need to wake up. And I feel like we have failed our kids. So through training, through speaking engagements, um, you know, through community events in the future, I'm, this ministry is a baby. Like it just got started. So uh, we have a lot of ground to cover, but a lot of open doors. So we go in, we speak, we train up because I want kids to, to know who they truly are in Christ so that they cannot be persuade who they are by society. Because we hear statistics all the time about growing up, they grew up in the church, but then they left the church and all that. And it can be quite discouraging. And yet we do see consistently that those that were grounded in the word and those that were grounded in their faith go on and do amazing things for Christ. Exactly. And so we need more and more of that in the church, but we need more of that of parachurch groups that go out there and that are just equipping parents. Because I think that's the, you said something about equipping parents. Mm -hmm. Talk about the heart of our society, you know. That God made the family the heart, the bedstone yeah. of all of all of organizational life, mm-hmm. and uh, so of course Satan's going to attack there. So. Absolutely, that's where I think the enemy goes first. Exactly, because I think in order to change our nation, it starts in the family. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Now you have a little bit different approach uh, in the in sense of, of the call, where certainly that can make a difference in the world, uh, but it kind of has a local seating there. Tell us about your ministry in, in about two minutes. Yeah, so I'm the director of Global Frontier Missions. Our mission statement is mobilizing, training, and multiplying disciples and churches to meet the physical and spiritual needs of the least reached people groups of the world. Um, we're primarily a missionary training organization, uh, so we like to get people's head, hearts, and hands ready to go into the mission field. Head would be good Bible knowledge, missiology, how to share with Muslims, Buddhists, Hindus. Heart is having an abiding relationship with Jesus, being close with the Father, because that's what's going to sustain us on the mission field. And then hands, how to learn different languages, how to navigate different cultures, how to use squatty potties, you know, practical stuff. Um, so, Moldova. <laughs> exactly. <You know. laughs> so we're, we're primarily a missionary training organization. We feel like the best way to train missionaries is by doing missions. So we've set up camp about an hour from here in Clarkston, Georgia, uh, right outside of Atlanta. What's unique about Clarkston is there's 20,000 people that live there. 14,000 of them were born outside of this country. So it's like this hub of refugees down there. So we thought, man, what a great way to get people ready to serve cross-culturally by bringing them into Clarkston, hang out with Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, share the gospel, start new Bible studies, hopefully plant some churches among these indigenous people groups. And then hopefully we'll see these people groups themselves. Maybe some of them go back to their own countries as missionaries. And then we also train missionaries to go into Morocco and India and Cambodia and Indonesia all over the place. So. Wonderful. Now, you know, I sent you all some Q&A questions before, and I'm about to ask you one that wasn't on there. (laughs) So I'm sorry for the uh, diverging off. But, you know, a lot of times when I was growing up, a mission speaker came and would do all these stats, you know, 4,300,000. If there was one stat that you wish that the local church could wrap their heads around, what would that be? 
What would that stat be that, you know, that just is overwhelming because it's a number, but if you're going, if you could ever embrace this, this number, what would that be? 40 million. And 40 million is? 40 million is the amount of people that are stuck in human trafficking right now. Wow. Mm-hmm. And that is part of where this ministry came from is the fact that I'm covered in goosebumps right now. Yeah. That, that's impossible. We are a handful battling millions. So if we can go in and equip and go in and shore up what traffickers have to offer young people is not so attractive. Yeah. And that 40 million is worldwide? Worldwide, worldwide. yeah. Worldwide. And that's all forms of trafficking. Yeah. That's labor. That's, you know, sex trafficking. That's, um, you know, just anything you could think of that they're not getting paid a salary. And our mind does numb to that. I mean, it's a number, yeah. and yet if God could ever get us to embrace I mean, if we could just really embrace that, how overwhelming that would be. And step up, and that's one of the things that the Lord revealed to me is that this is going to start as a tidal wave yeah. in the United States because it has impacted every single country in the United States or in the world is impacted by human trafficking. Yeah. Wonderful. Graham, how about you? You know, global missions, again, I imagine you have thousands of stats in your head. Sure. What's the one that you wish the local church could wrap their brain and their heart around? 7,000 is our number. There's 7,000 unreached people groups in the world. Um, so Jesus' last commandment was go make disciples of all nations. That Greek word is ethne, pontata ethne. Go make disciples of all the ethnic groups of the exactly. world. And then Matthew 24, Jesus said... You know, Matthew 24 is talking about the end times and wars and rumors of wars and famine. And then Matthew 24, 14, Jesus says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to Pontata Ethne, all the ethnic groups of the world, and then the end will come. There's 7,000 ethne, ethnic groups that are left that have little to no access to Christ. No Bibles, no missionaries, no churches at all. So that number 7,000 is what drives us to train more missionaries to go to those places that have no access at all to Christ. And it's kind of a hard thing for us to conceive because we think, well, the Internet, that certainly has helped spread the gospel because now, you know, it's all over the world. And yet there's places that don't get the Internet. Exactly. And there's places that are tucked away that, like you said, do not even have any form of the gospel in their native language. Exactly. And they can have understanding. But 7,000. Yep. Wow. Well, those two numbers do kind of overwhelm us. How did you personally get involved? Because I know your ministry is relatively new. You've been in your ministry for about 10 years? 20, yeah. 20 20 years that you've created. And yours is like... Since July. Since July. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, how did you know this is what God wanted you to do? Because I think one of the interesting things, Jennifer, is it's not just what we do as we're called to missionaries, but how did that happen? Because I always believe that God is calling other people. And I, I want that part of the story to come out too. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's kind of my favorite part of the story yeah. is how God did it. Um, because I actually was in one of the, the hardest times of my life and I was vulnerable and I was, um, I wanted to hide under a rock and I wanted to stay there and stay in my home and lock the door. Um, I lost my dad who was my, just my first love, my one true love, um, besides the Lord. And I was just in this place of just stillness and, and hurt and God said, go buy a desk. And I don't know. <laughs> Why should I go buy a desk? 
And, uh, and that's where it all started was he told me to go get a desk and it was just an awareness. Um, and then after that, there was confirmation after confirmation that this is exactly what he called me to. So instead of, um, going into ministry, like he called me to, I decided to start a blog (laughs) and, uh, and it wasn't enough. And so as I wrote and I shared my heart and poured out because I thought, you know, hey, the way to reach parents would be through like a Christian parenting blog. I'm a single mom of four boys. Hello. (laughs) Um, And they absolutely are my greatest joy and my deepest pain. And so uh, that's where it all started was go by a desk. And then I started a blog. And then he let me know that's not it. It's not enough. And I couldn't be as bold as I needed to be. And, uh, so then it, that, I kind of think that's how I knew it was the Lord was that it was nothing and then it was something and he planted that seed and then he planted people that said, I believe in what you're doing. I believe in your heart because we have to do something with human trafficking. And, and I know you'll get to this later maybe, but we take a different approach to it. Um, because that's not what this ministry is all about. It's not solely in fighting human trafficking. Um, it truly is about the youth in America. So that's kind of how it got started was by a desk. And so in my heart, I knew I needed to do this because God used that stillness and that vulnerability of my heart and that grief that I was experiencing to say, I have more for you. Yeah. I'm going to ask you something really personal. Mm-hmm. How many times did he, have to, did he have to say, go by a desk? Multiple. Yeah. <laughs> that's hopeful for people yeah. who've heard God say yes. something to them yes. four, five, six times and go, okay, I guess I missed that ship. And I still no. didn't buy a desk. No. <laughs> no. I made a desk. Out of an you made old a desk. <laughs> and he said no. You, but then I had a, someone call me and say, hey, I'm getting rid of a bunch of stuff. Do you need a desk? Yeah. That is really cool. Yeah. That's really cool. So I, I still didn't buy a desk, but I got one. <laughs> so Grant, did you grow up in the church? And so you've always heard that. How did you, all of a sudden that God took a church approach, a, a kingdom approach, and said, okay, Grant, this is what I want you to do. So I grew up all over Alabama, Georgia, Florida, bounced around. Bless Baptist. you on that Alabama part. <laughs> there you go. Um, so yeah, grew up in the church my whole life. In high school, we started going on mission trips. Yeah. So in high school, I was living out in Colorado at that time. Our youth group started going down to Mexico for short-term mission trips. A few days of training in California, cross the border, do vacation Bible school, build houses on garbage dumps. And man, those trips just rocked my world. The training side of things rocked my world because we would go through the Bible, kind of Genesis through Revelation, looking at this theme of how much God is a God of the nations, this theme of blessed to be a blessing. Adam, Noah, Abraham, God blessed them. And then he told them to go be a blessing to all nations. And even growing up in the church, I'd just been blind to that huge theme throughout scripture. So the word combined with just seeing this poverty and seeing the need for Jesus around the world, uh, God just wrecked my heart. And I, I was, when I heard how few people around the world and these statistics, like yeah. 7,000 unreached people groups, you know, I grew up yeah. with a church on every corner. I drove through 10 just getting here to church. Yeah. And so I was like, God, it's not fair that there's Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists that have never heard the name of Jesus. That just doesn't seem right. I grew up in America, awesome Christian family, churches, Christian bookstore, Christian radio, all this stuff. That doesn't seem fair. And I felt like God looked back at me and said, that doesn't seem fair. And I was like, Oh, you're right. You've called us to do something about this. So, yeah, it was sophomore year in high school. Wow. I really felt like God was saying to get involved in missions and go to the ends of the earth and specifically the places that didn't have Bibles, churches, or missionaries. 
like Jennifer said, was there any hesitation? Were there times that you're going, okay, you heard clearly what God said, and yet fear and just, you know, not knowing what, yeah. and, you know, what are the parameters of this, and not knowing details, because we kind of like to know what's ahead. <laughs> you know, it's one of those that we just don't want to jump off into the unknown, and yet God says, look, I know what's there. Sure. You don't need to know, and yet... There's a part of our nature that says, but I want to know what's ahead. <laughs> so was there any hesitation at all? I mean, or I did, came, was it kind of a smooth ride? I came back from those short-term trips fired up like, yeah. Mom, Dad, how can I sit in biology or chemistry class when there's people that haven't heard of Jesus before? I mean, I was ready That's to so hop cool. on a plane. <laughs> Parents are like, slow down, slow down, calm down. you got to sit through calculus and everything else. Honestly, those last couple years of high school, I lived a foot in the world and a foot in the church. Part of it was, I wonder if I'm going to miss out on some of this worldly stuff. So I started working a lot, making a lot of money, girlfriends, you know, whatever, foot in the world, foot in the church. Those last couple years really lived for myself instead of for Jesus. After I graduated from high school, I went on another mission trip where God really rattled me up and said, man, you're, you're living for Grant ultimately with a little bit of Jesus where he's convenient. Mm. Lay your da- life down, make Jesus Lord. And I really did. That summer, obviously, it's a journey, but man, I just felt like yeah. Jesus cleansed all the selfish living that I had for those last few years, renewed that calling in my life, and then, yeah, I followed him for training and, and all that good stuff. Yeah. So. That's so encouraging, uh, and yet we know that the callings into ministry, whether they're brand new or you've been doing it for many, many years, uh, have moments of discouragement. Can you kind of describe... Maybe one of the discouraging moments that, okay, you know, because there's an excitement about missions and you, somebody gives you a desk and you're going, God, you're right in the middle of this. And then right in all that joy and all that happiness and all that surety comes discouragement. Tell us of one of the discouraging times. Well, I think that throughout my life I have been prepared. God has prepared me for the discouraging times. Yeah. And uh, I did overseas missions and, and did the trips to Mexico and was a missionary in El Salvador and worked in orphanages with street kids. And I worked in Peru backpacking all over, um, and it just created this hunger in me. And um, there were so many times where even though that hunger is there, when you're hungry, you're also starving sometimes. And uh, I think the discouragement that I have been through uh, just recently has been that I there is so much that it can get so overwhelming that you don't have a clue where to go next. Um, and that was kind of where I was. And But every time that God, that I feel that discouragement and I feel that kind of in my heart because I honestly got to a place of like, God, I can't. I'm one person. I can't do this. I can't change, you know, people's ideas and views and, and way to combat human trafficking. I, I can't save all the youth in America. I can't. I'm just me. And I've, I've got boys to raise on my own, and I've got a business I'm running. And, I, you know, I'm like, I, I don't have time for this. And um, in that in, in discouragement, he keeps putting people in my life of encouragement or somebody will hand me a check or somebody will say, you know, you are where you need to be. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day and she said, Jennifer, I have not seen this light in you in a really long time. And it just, you know, it, it pinpoints the God in me. Um, I had a very interesting encounter, if I can share really quickly, um, in that time of discouragement and complete confusion on, I don't even, I don't know what to do here, God. Um, I took a weekend, 
away from my kids, which is very rare. Um, and I went to a cabin on Lake Hartwell, one bedroom, one nothing cabin on a rescue farm. And I just isolated myself from the world. And it was just me and the Lord for the weekend. Um, and during that time, I would go out, walk the farm, kind of hang out with some of the abandoned, abused animals. And God said so clearly, this is is the same as these children. They are abandoned. They are abused. They are people that need me. And just like these animals who were rescued, I have created you for this purpose. And so right at the same time, uh, the owner of the farm came out, and we were chit-chatting, and she said, well, what do you do? And I was like, oh, gracious, that question is loaded. <laughs> so I let her know about my, my small business, and then I said, you know, I've also started a nonprofit that I felt God was leading me to. She's not a Christian at all. Um, and she, she, But she listened with an open heart, and she said, um, I need to talk to you. And she said, my daughter is... In works in the foster care system, and she is fostering a teenage girl who is 15. And she said, this teenage girl is rebelling so bad, and she is doing everything she can to put herself in super dangerous situations, speaking to much older men on the Internet. She's sending pictures out. She's doing all these things through TikTok and every other social media that she can to get herself, her image, her body out there. And the, the lady was like, we don't know what to do. And it just opened up this massive door of wow. I can share what I've learned. I can share what I know. I can share my heart. I can share Jesus with this woman, this girl. So she connected me up with her daughter. Her daughter was in tears. She, you know, just trying to really love on this broken child. And we're all broken. Yeah. You know, but it, it was so cool that in that discouragement and total confusion, God said, here, here's, here's a little time to practice what I've made you for. So. Yeah, I've noticed that all of my Moses excuses, God always has an answer to the Moses excuses. Yes. You know, I can't, I can't do this. God always has a ready answer for that. What about you, Grant? Uh, in, in the moments of, of discouragement where, you know, you have all this joy, you have this, seems like you're really together and a kind of a target kind of guy. <laughs> sure. And so, you know, you're going for the target. So my wife and I spent 14 years down in southern Mexico. We were working with Mixteco Indians up in the mountains of Mexico, Oaxaca, way down south, and plenty of discouragements throughout. There were many times where we wanted to pack our bags, like, what are we doing down here, Lord? Are we making any difference? I mean, there were times where we got physically run out of villages with machetes when we were showing the Jesus film. We had witch doctors that would cast spells on us to try to curse us and things like that. One of our disciples, a guy that we had invested in for about five years, had raised him up. He baptized new people. He was pastoring a church. He ended up running off with a woman from the village next door, and that just totally destroyed the reputation of Jesus and the gospel in that place. Here in Clarkston, you know, we hit discouragement a bit. The language barrier is really hard. And when you've got that many people, we've got a 100 languages spoken there. Wow. So the language barriers are difficult. We'll start a good relationship with somebody and start seeing some interest in the gospel, wanting to follow Jesus. And then they'll move because they found a job in Gainesville or family in Ohio or something like that. So there's definitely pretty <laughs> a lot of discouragement along the way in the mission field. But Jesus is always so good and faithful and gives us the grace and perseverance to push through whatever he's called us to do. Isn't it amazing that, uh, you know, as you're describing all those different things, and we saw, sing that song about Waymaker, yeah. Promise Keeper, that it always comes back to him. 
yeah. instead of circumstances. For sure. And we, we are really focused on the circumstances. Okay, the money part or this, and are these people left the ministry or this happened. And God has a way of always bringing all those things always back to him. Isn't that cool that he just says, look, out of all this inconsistency, yep. I want to show you the one thing that's consistent, and yeah. that's me and my love for you. And that I died for you, and that you have this good news to go and tell these people. And and I don't know in, in my ministry that that's you know at the time that you're discouraged and down. He says, "When did it ever start becoming about you?" <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and that's really humbling when when God does that. When He says, "It's all about me," and it's about it. Well, how can the local church? You know, one of the things about a parachurch group that may be you know working with a lot of denominations. That's a good thing, but it's also I mean. Some Southern Baptist missionaries are kind of the envy of the world sometimes because they go and we send them and we pay their salary. And so they don't have to come home and, you know, raise the funds and all that. It's kind of, it's already provided for them. So there's really good things of working within a denomination and within an organization. How can the local church, since you're going to work across denominations, how can the local church be involved in your ministry? I would say the the phase that we're in right now is just going to be truly getting the word out of who we are and what we're about. And um, we we do come in from a different angle. And so that kind of opens people's eyes a little bit. But uh, prayer right now is our biggest, biggest, biggest thing that I'm asking for because um, one of the hardest things in, in forming a nonprofit is all the legal loops you have to jump through and hoops and just the government's involved and and trying to get the 501c3 and you know there's so many different things but god is so much bigger than that and he can you know every time there's a little hiccup it's like next thing i know it's just passed on through you know and and i would say prayer right now and and really getting the word out of what we're about having opportunities to speak um in different places uh, whether it be community events or you know just anything that we can do to to get the momentum and the movement going. You said a couple times now that you come in from a different angle. Can you show, share that with us as far as what is the different angle? Because, you know, we think of, you know, human trafficking and we look at this really broad thing. And again, it's almost like those statistics, they're just overwhelming. So what is the angle that God has laid upon your heart? Okay, here's going to be the, the special kind of key to your ministry. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, when I first got started in, in really researching human trafficking, it it did overwhelm me. The numbers overwhelmed me, and they burdened me. And the more that I started thinking about it and praying about it, I'm like, God is not going to call me to carry these burdens that I'm not meant to carry. And so... It was really a mindset shift because in the, in the beginning, I was doing trainings on how to spot human trafficking. How do you, you know, recognize the situation? What do you do? What are the numbers you call? You know, all these statistical ways to go about it. Very, um, I guess, pragmatic. And when I stepped out of the box a little bit, because there are a lot of organizations that are battling human trafficking. I'm not a SWAT team member. I don't have, you know, my passport is not up to date right now to where I can go over and, you know, save a child. Um, so because that's not what God called me to, I have to come from the angle of how do we make this not happen in the first place? So that's kind of the, the different approach that Change or Chains Ministries takes is I believe that if we can get to these kids and really, really help them see because they are six to nine hours a day, every day in front of a screen, yeah. which is, you know, um, 
all the social media avenues, the TikTok, the Instagram, you know, there's things that I've seen out there and I'm like, holy cow. And there was a church that my sons and I were actually thinking about visiting and going to in, in our town and, and we visited one time. And my kids, my oldest is, is 13 all the way down to four. And my boys looked at me and they said, Mom, we, we don't want to go to church here because we go to school with them and we see what they're like at school and then we see the face they put on at church and I don't want to be a part of that. Wow. And that hit me hard. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the angle that, that we really take is I, I really see that God wants these kids to be completely solid in Christ because human traffickers come along as the perfect boyfriend. They come along as the perfect girlfriend, the perfect job opportunity. They have modeling jobs lined up for all these great girls and guys, you know, kids that are so lured to that. Um, but if a, if a child knows, a young person knows my identity is in Christ, because right now kids are surrounded and swimming every day in social comparison, and we weren't built for that. We weren't created for that. So every five minutes, they're comparing their lives to someone else's life who's really, that's not really the truth of what their life is to begin with. So all the social comparison, self-esteem is in the dirt for a lot of these kids. Um, young suicide rates have skyrocketed over the last 10 years. Um, teen girls alone, the suicide rate is 151% increase over 10 years. That's not okay, and we can do better. And uh, one of the things that God really put on my heart in that mindset shift was that the world needs these young people for what they were created to be. Amen. And we're losing them. And so that's the the shift that I had was that we can come across more in a preventative awareness to help shore these kids up, train these kids up in who they are in Christ and not who society says they are. And what an ally to a parent that is. Yes, and working with the parents and caregivers that, you know, because the foster system is, that's one of the main areas that traffickers aim to. Great. There's a lot of um, ministries like yours that have that global focus. And how would you say that yours is set apart? How does the local church help you since you want to work across denominational lines and you just, you know, you just want to get the word to these people? How can we best do that? Uh, just missions in general. We always talk about pray, give, go, welcome, and mobilize. So pray, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send more laborers into the harvest field. Make it a part of your regular quiet time to pray for more laborers. Uh, there's a website called Joshua Project where you can systematically yeah. pray through yeah. those 7,000 unreached people groups. Give, obviously. We've always got missionaries that are trying to raise support. We as an organization depend on partners from the local church. Uh, Craig Haney, who goes to church here, he's on our board. He does an awesome job of fundraising and advocating for us. Go. We have one-day trips and three-day trips where churches can come down to Clarkston and help us minister to the refugees that are down there. So we're trying to get as many churches in Atlanta uh, to come and see so you can come back and go and tell. Um, Welcome. We want more churches to have a better attitude towards the immigrants in this country. And I know that's a hot topic politically right now, but biblically, God says over and over, Old Testament, New Testament, love strangers, love strangers, take care of strangers. When you take care of them, you're taking care of me. So immigrants, refugees, we really need the local church to help us adopt refugees in Clarkson and help with felt needs, help share Jesus with them. 
So we're really asking the local church to do a better job of welcoming, change our hearts, change our minds, change our attitudes, and then practically let's help these folks and then mobilize others, help more people. Barna did a study where they said 50% of Christians don't know what the Great Commission is. So half of all Christians out there don't know that Jesus' last commandment was go make disciples of all nations. So more education, more advocacy, more mobilization to get more churches involved in praying and giving and going and welcoming and mobilizing others. Wonderful. Uh, I wish we had three hours. You know, <laughs> it's one sure. of those things every, every time I get done with a sermon and they're going, we wish you were done. And uh, I'm going, but I've got more. There's more here. And there's just not enough time. But I think one thing that you that both of you said that I think we just greatly underestimate the power of in the Christian life, not just with missions, but in Christian life, and that is the power of prayer. I just don't know that we really get how foundationally powerful that is when we invite god just to change our hearts and our minds and just what he does through prayer so i do know that you know when people say okay i'll pray for your ministry that you take that seriously because it really is how things get accomplished Um, afterwards uh if if people have some questions and stuff like that uh, they're going to be here for our second service also so they don't get to leave in between services uh they have some brochures and some different information out there in the hallway um that you can talk with them and just find out more about their ministry. But guys, thank you. Again, I wish that we had so much more time, but thank you for coming. And just even in that short amount of time, it's amazing to me how God just plants that seed and puts that awareness there. And then with the, the data that you bring and the information that you have, uh, are going to be sharing with us, how that can just start a relationship between the local church and the ministry and people within the local church. So again, I just thank you for that. Let me pray for us today. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for the hope that is Christ. And Father, in all the different ministries, Father, whether it be I serve or these ministries or a thousand other ministries, Father, there is one consistent thing that we see, and that is the hope of the gospel. That, Father, that you have put a hope there to transform lives, to change hearts and minds, Father. That more and more and more, Father, that we would become like you. And more and more and more, Father, that we would go out and make disciples of all the world. So, Father, help us to, to see that. That's overwhelming. Father, it is 40 million, 7,000. Father, those are overwhelming. And yet, Father, one changed life. One at a time, Father. You've called people just like you called us. And you opened our eyes to our sin. And you open our eyes to the beauty of a Savior. So, Father, we pray for these ministries. And there's practical needs that they have. Father, there are spiritual needs that they have. But, Father, we pray today that uh, one by one, there'd be those young girls and those young guys that would be in the trap of human trafficking. And, Father, they would hear this good news of the gospel. Father, for refugees and people who have come because they've heard uh, about America, and maybe this is a place of sanctuary for them. And yet, Father, uh, they see that they need a sanctuary in their heart for the living God. So, Father, I pray for Jennifer. Father, I pray for Grant. I I pray that uh, the local church would understand the importance of all these ministries that are growing up and the importance of the call that you've placed upon their lives. Father, help us truly to see your goodness, to make much of you, For, Father, you have said that when they see our good works, they will glorify you, our Father in heaven. And, Father, that's what we want, Father, to make much of you so that people say there is a hope for this world. 
We love you and we thank you. As for all this in the hope that is Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.